Good afternoon and welcome to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. Over the next hour, you'll learn how to live from your true self through all of life's twists and turns. And you'll be challenged to lean into the mysteries of life to find your own deepest wisdom. Now, here's your host, Andrea Matthews. Good afternoon and welcome to the Authentic Living Show. You know, at this special juncture of time when we as a collective have perhaps been a bit more self-reflective than usual due to the virus and many other things, today's timely topic might reach into that part of us that longs for a connection to a deeper transformative essence of our own nature. Our guest today, Dr. Beverly Lanzetta, has come to talk to us about her latest book, A New Silence, Special, excuse me, Spiritual Practices and Formation for the Monk Within. Beverly's radical wisdom about how to access this inner silence and how that practice transforms and renews us is a welcome balm in this unprecedented time of suffering. So you want to be here for this whole show. Let me tell you a little bit about Beverly. She is a PhD and a theologian, a contemplative scholar and teacher, and the author of many groundbreaking books on emerging universal spirituality and new monasticism, including Radical Wisdom, a Feminist Mystical Theology, Emerging Heart, Global Spirituality and the Sacred, The Monk Within, Embracing a Sacred Way of Life, and most recently, The New Silence, Spiritual Practices and Formation for the Monk Within, which is our topic for today. Dedicated to a vision of theological openness and spiritual nonviolence, her work has won praise for its wisdom, eloquence, and mystical insight, and is considered to be a major contribution to what theologian Ursula King called a feminine mystical way for the 21st century. She's a much sought-after mentor for the new generation, including the spiritual but not religious, and the new monastic alike, and she brings with her 40 years of experience as a guide to answering the universal call to contemplation. Welcome, Beverly, to the Authentic Living Show. Thank you so much for being here today. Thank you, Andrea. It's so nice to be back with you, and I always look forward to our conversations. Yes, me too. Me too. Well, let's just sort of jump right in there. I want to hear first the story behind this book. Why did you decide to write this book? Okay. Well, um, as you know, um, I've been working with people for many years on um, speaking about the importance of connecting to that deep presence, which I've been calling the monk within, the kind of uh, place in us that is um, seeking and longing for, you know, the divine and that um, lives within us, whether or not we're actively pursuing it. And so um, a number of years ago, I decided to uh, write three books, of which this is the second. The first one was The Monk Within, which sort of lays out the what I would call kind of like the foundation, a spiritual theological foundation of what it means to try to live in the world as a contemplative person, as a, as a type of living monastic in the world. And then um, the second volume of that is this book, A New Silence, which um, talks about, you know, what, you know, if this is, if the first book is sort of the underlying ethos, um, how do we do it, and how do we grow into it, and how do we form ourselves, change our life orientation to be more contemplative or more deep in our spirituality? 
So this book is, is a compilation of the many teachings I've given over these years. And then there's a third book coming out actually quite soon called A Feast of Prayers, which is um, a, a, kind of a universal liturgy of hours I've written over the years that I use with people that is an attempt to, you know, foster and encourage new language in our spiritual lives. Um, coming out of, you know, our own orientation to living in the sacred. So that's, that's how this book is coming out. And my hope for all three books was, you know, if someone is seeking to live, you know, in this way and they either don't have a, you know, don't have a mentor or would like to have a mentor or would like to form a group, that hopefully this will give them some you know, sense of, you know, how to go that way, how to proceed in this life. Yes, excellent. So you, when you talk about the monk within, that's uh, different than, than the traditional ideas about the monk. Can you say a little bit about how the difference is between those two? Yeah. Well, you know, um, many people believe that we all contain a monastic archetype, meaning that within all of us, there's this well of silence, this well of solitude, and also this, you know, intrinsic desire to reconnect with or to connect with our divine source. You know, this notion of, you know, what is the meaning of life? Why am I on this planet? You know, is there, is there a God? Is there really love? And it's sort of like that seems to be a, almost a universal experience for many people. So the monk within is saying that we have within us this capacity, this desire, this well of silence and solitude. Um, and it's not, you know, only for people who have taken formal religious vows or who live in a monastery. It's, it's literally something that we all can aspire to. And, um, and I think today it's a very important image because it's, it's a way of describing something that has, in history has been reserved for very few people, seems very esoteric, very aesthetic maybe, and to refashion that as a capacity within our own being, um, I have found very helpful, not only in my own life, but with the many people I've, I've talked to over the years. <clears throat> yes, that's beautiful. And So what that means to all of us is that we have the capacity in this this time of, of darkness in our in our collective uh, personality, I guess, would be a time when we might be willing to to consider the possibility that we have a monk within. And 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 I know there's a lot of people that are out there are spending a lot more time alone than they have ever, maybe. And uh, and this might be a really good time to consider this possibility that there's some way to really connect to something inside of us that's deep and meaningful and has something to give us that's a very powerful evolutionary process. Mm-hmm. Yep. Definitely. So you, definitely. Yeah. I mean, I'm sorry, go ahead. No. no, you go ahead. You go ahead. No, I was going to say that, you know, what's so interesting is that in our classical traditions, they always, we always talk about, um, you know, the, the call to silence and solitude. Um, historically is the call of, you know, the universe called, you know, drawing us into a deeper place and the impasse that we feel between the life that we've been living 
that we can't go back to. So in t- right now during this pandemic and everything that's going on that's so graphic, we can't go back to the life that we were living a year ago. And yet we don't yet know how to go forward to a new life because we're in an impasse between realities. And so this journey, sort of spiritual journey that, you know, has been described as taking place within each person is also taking place socially and globally right now. And I think those, um, you know, wisdoms of the inner life can be so helpful in this period to give us courage to go forward, to give us, to help us realize that silence, the call to silence and solitude is oftentimes a call of, you know, the spirit speaking in us and showing us another way. And the impasse, even the impasse we feel of, of being stuck between realities is often described as the birth of the new. Um, so these dark moments are also, can be ultimately moments of grace and transformation. Yes, 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 thank you. That's, I hope our listening audience can really uh, tap into that because that's a, this is an optimal time for this. Um, you talk about an intercontemplative, and it's and it's got an active phase and a passive phase and a third phase that you call new seeds. So, what do these phases mean in our sort of transformative evolution? Right. Well, you know, um, I mentioned you know in the book that you know we a lot of times today we talk about things like inter interfaith, interreligious, interspiritual, and I wanted to focus it on the word contemplative because contemplative or mystical kind of infers the idea of something even deeper, even deeper than religious thought or that something very interior, very, you know, in our depth. So um, it's sort of like it's, it's that dialogue that goes in, that goes on with us um, that, you know, is seeking a deeper understanding and it has, an active, like you're saying, active mode and a passive mode. So the active mode is, um, you know, all the things we do and have done to grow closer to truth and wisdom, such as prayer, meditation, worship, study, you know, um, community, and so forth. But intercontemplative also means in this belief and movement that we have to enter into the universe of other people. We have to be willing to, you know, the old adage, step in someone else's shoes to kind of um, put ourselves into another world and develop compassion and empathy for other people, other situations. So that's the, the active phase. The passive phase, and this is very, again, very... Um, intrinsic in the world's mystical traditions that there's a phase in the inner life where we can't do it ourselves. Our will doesn't work anymore. We can't force ourselves to get there. We can't make it happen. And, and of course, this is also part of that impasse where we're in the middle between realities and it can be very frustrating because all the tools we've used in the past to move us through this, whether it's faith, whether it's friends, whether it's you know, meditation, somehow they don't seem to be working. And and that is because in this part of the night, in this part of the movement, it is the divine, it is the spirit that's working in us. And so it's, it's not something that we can affect. And that 
puts many people into kind of a an interior turmoil because they're not they've never experienced that where they really can't do it. It has to be they have to be led. So it's a kind of a surrender of the ego of the self will to move into something greater that's calling us. And then um, I feel like this this movement, particularly now and what we're going through, leads into another mode where when we really open ourselves and surrender to this not knowing, to what I sometimes call an unsaying, like we're unsaying all the things we've been told, and we may, re- we may recapture them again on the other side, but for right now, we have to let them go. Um, there's, I feel like, like there's seeds of wisdom that get born in us. It's like we're growing a living garden of a new, new, newly flowering language or way of being or spiritual desire. And, um, and it, 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 it begins to affirm our capacity um, to bring forth in our own lives, you know, the sense of awe, new visions of the divine, the desire to be um, more holy or monastic, which is not the special preserve of the few enlightened or elevated ones, but it's actually the birthing of a faith now in our souls um, that is calling us to heal the divisions um, in ourselves and in the world, to, to become attuned to exclusion, superiority, sexism, racism, and so forth, and all, you know, all the things we're seeing in the world around us right now, which is, is kind of amazing, really. Um, and so it's, it's a time that moves from active things that we can do into passive things that, that only can be done from the side of spirit to becoming a co-creator of helping to heal the world, um, to labor to love with others, to mend the fractured and fragile part of ourselves. Yeah, beautifully said. I, I, I think that whole process is um, similar to something I've heard described as um, divinization. Yes, uh-huh, divinization, yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah, yes, the yep. same exact it's process. A, yes. Yes, yeah, it's the yes. idea of, of becoming divine, right? Becoming divine. Yeah. Like, how do we move into becoming more, you know, becoming holier, becoming more sensitive people, more loving people, more like the divine light that we feel and, and, and suffer and, and know in awe? Yeah. And that process, when you talk about... Um, you know, the monk within, so you said a little while ago that sometimes we don't know it's there. And I guess we just have right. a few minutes before break. We just have a few minutes before break, but I just wanted to say, if we if we don't know it's there, is it still actively doing something inside of us? Yes, and that's, that's why language and sharing and discussion is so important. Because sometimes when people are going through this, and they don't know they're going through it. And even when they do know they're going through it, but still there can be a lot of pain and suffering. You know, why am I in this impasse? Why does nothing feel like it used to, right? right. Um, and so that's why when we describe these things, it can, it can give us hope and it can actually help to 
push us forward so that we can begin to identify in our own being what the process is about. Okay. Okay. So what we can trust is that there is something working within us all the time, even though we might not know it, that is trying to get us to a place where we become aware of who we are as divine beings. Right. Exactly. Okay. That's great. That's good. That's the best news ever. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Well, we just have a few minutes again before break, but, uh, you mentioned the words existential incarnation. What does that mean? Um, you mean in the intercontemplative? Is that where you're talking? Yeah, about? in the intercontemplative practice. Yes. Um, yes, that's what I was talking about earlier. <laughs> and it sometimes I I don't know why exactly I use that phrase, but it what it means to me is that it's an embodied. In, you know, an embodied practice. It's happening in the world now. It's happening in our embodiment, calling us to heal these divisions, to become attuned to how in our own being we may be exclusive, we may feel superiority, we may be harboring sexism or racism or gender violence or, you know, racial violence or violence against people of, of diverse sexual orientations. It's like saying it is here now in our, in our embodiment as we dwell together on this earth. And what can we do now to help heal that? And so I, I've started calling this a kind of mystical activism. It's like... Okay. We're going to take a break right now and I'll come back to that and you can finish that. And um, so okay. we'll, we'll be back in just a few minutes with more from Beverly Lanzetta. Stay tuned. your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com Broaden your mind. Open your heart for a greater understanding of how to express your pure and authentic nature. Tune in and turn on 1111 Talk Radio. Simron, author, publisher, and life mentor, broadens minds and opens hearts to a greater understanding of life, consciousness, and humanity. 1111 Talk Radio is every Wednesday at 11 a.m. Eastern, 8 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. 1111 Talk Radio. You are not on a journey. You are the journey. You are experience experiencing itself. Join host Marla Goldberg each week for Guided Spirit Conversations. This show puts you, the listener, in touch with some exciting guests. Hear how they've helped others and find out how you can help too through Marla's charity shoutouts. Are you ready to shift your current life experience? We've got tips, tools, and techniques designed to help you get started. Guided Spirit Conversations can be heard Thursdays at noon Eastern Time, 9 a.m. Pacific on Voice America Empowerment. And be sure to listen to our weekly replay of the show, Sunday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Life can be confusing at times. There can be uncertainty, disappointment, and an inability to clearly see where you're headed. But it doesn't have to be this way at all if you understand how to take the next step in your life. Tune in to Living the Miracle with your hosts, Michael and Raphael Tamora. We'll help you to find the deeper meaning that awaits you in your life, have certainty in yourself, 
and learn to be clairvoyant. Listen Wednesdays at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern on Voice America Empowerment. Live up to your fullest potential. This is the Voice America Empowerment Channel. You're listening to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. We want to hear from you. If you have a question or comment about today's show, call in now toll-free, 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. You can also send your questions or comments by email to Andrea at andreamatthews.com. Now, back to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. And we're back talking today to Dr. Beverly Lanzetta about her her book on New Silence. And we're talking about the monk within and what it means to live uh, uh, and to grow into a new spirituality that's connected to that monk within. So you mentioned uh, uh, you have several chapters on some virtues in, in the book. And um, you, you say that humility is one of the most personally relevant and meaningful virtues. Why is this so? Well, I think, you know, because if we, as I was describing a little bit ago in this movement of contemplation, uh, humility is, is a virtue that t- teaches us to let go of self-willing. And I don't mean, I don't mean the, you know, the positive willing for things in the world of, you know, what we have to do every day, but I'm talking about the interior part of us that basically either rejects, denies, um, betrays, uh, you know, abandons, so forth and so on, uh, that, higher, that higher state in us and, and, and in which the ego is always, in a sense, fighting to not allow the inflow of that passive movement of, of God's work in us or the Spirit's work in us. So humility... Um, is a kind of, it's a quality of being um, that we, we, you know, that we, we learn to, to develop because we begin to discover that emptiness and letting go is actually an incredible grace. And we learn that, you know, dispensing with our, our own agendas and opening ourselves to the path of the divine actually moves us more intensely and more positively along our path of growing closer to our true natures and to the spirit, the world of the universal spirit. Um, and, and it is so easy to be diverted by self-will. You know, the world teaches us the need to be recognized, the need to be successful. Um, we learn to complain and, and judge and gossip and refuse to forgive. And mostly we're taught about worldly ambitions. And um, all of those things, you know, in their own realm, you know, maybe have validity, but they prevent us from um, learning how to be vulnerable, learning to how we need to acknowledge that we need each other um, when we are close to the earth, because, you know, the word humility comes from the Latin humus, which means earth, and it's sort of like being grounded in the earth realizing we live in an interdependent circle of being with all beings and that we need each other. So um, 
it is such an important part of the spiritual life. And, and the way I always envision it is that um, it really is an encounter with awe that we learn how we learn humility really when we come against, you know, the grandeur of the world, you know, like whether it's a sunset or a time in nature, or a starry sky or beautiful plants outside our window or something that just stirs our heart. And we realize in relationship to this awe, we are, we have to, in a sense, or we do bow down in an offering. And, you know, and the, the permission to bow down in offering, to give ourselves the permission to be a devotional or to be um, a pilgrim, if you will, is so important and, and so very little discussed in, social, in public discourse. You know, so people can feel ashamed that, they are, that they're devotional or they can be embarrassed that they have this deep longing. Um, and humility gives us the strength, in a sense, to acknowledge, yes, we live in the midst of grandeur and awe, and we will do everything we can to honor and respect that. Yeah, that's a beautiful, beautiful explanation of humility. I love that. Um, so what do you mean when you say the words divinity of the world? That's a hard, that's a, for most people that feels like an oxymoron. <laughs> oh my gosh, now where did I say that? No, I'm kidding. <laughs> I'm, I'm not no. sure, somewhere, okay. it was somewhere in your book, I promise. No, but I didn't know what I no, no exactly. I, I say that all the time, I say that all the time, I'm just kidding, kind of. <laughs> um, yes, I love the questions you're asking me. Okay, I think it has it connects very much with what I just said. And, you know, so many mystical writers and saints and scriptures down through history have said that, that we live in a way with a veil over us, like a thin veil between the reality we see or we think we see and, and what is actually really around us all the time, the gift of being, the gift of being alive. The, the way in which the entire creation is a manifestation of something way beyond us. You can call it God, you can call it divine, universal consciousness, whatever you want to call it. But the world, including all the beings in the world, contain within them this spark of divinity, um, you know, you know, we could call it the monk within right now, but the spark of divinity, the spark of life. And, and so part of our turning our, our hearts and minds around is to recognize how in the, the things that we do every day, how and in what way they are helping the spark of divinity, lifting up the spark of divinity, or how and in what way they are harming or violating the spark of divinity in the world. That is the world. Yes, yes, that's, that's, yes, okay, I get that completely. And the four virtues of the monastic heart, what are those? I'm no sorry, this is the first part of your question, would you say? Sure, the four, the four virtues of the monastic heart, what are those? Oh, the four virtues, I'm sorry, I was like, okay, let me, let me get to that, because... <laughs> 
Uh, I want to get that over here so I can. Here we go. Another okay. humility is one of them, so, and we've yeah. already discussed that. Yeah, the apostle, the disciple, right? The devotee. Right. I mean, what what I was trying to do is, in, this was an exercise that I shared with people in, you know, when I'm teaching about how do we change our lives, move our lives, turn our lives towards sort of letting letting go a little bit of this, you know, um, achievement consciousness or, um, you know, secular demands on us all the time. And so I talked about four virtues. There also could be called four virtues of humility. But it, the, the first one I talk about is just becoming a disciple or an apostle of the holy, um, which is um, really just, you know, allowing ourselves, as I said just a little bit ago, allowing ourselves to realize that, you know, we, we are devoted. What are we devoted to? There is something in us that longs to turn towards the light. There is something in us that experiences awe. So we are, in a way, a disciples or pilgrims. Um, and I think that that is a very good image of looking at a virtue in our hearts. The other one is self-responsibility. Um, we all have to take responsibility for turning our lives around and for pursuing the path of truth. And sometimes we, we think we, we like to put that responsibility on, you know, our teachers, our, you know, our lama, our, our spiritual director, our priest or whomever, our rabbi. But it's really we who have to do the hard work. Um, and so, you know, this idea that we want to seek the, you know, truth or God, but we don't want to do it ourselves. We don't want to reveal what is preventing us. We're hiding our inner thoughts and feelings of inadequacy and all of that. This is, um, this is that can impede, you know, our, our movement. And so that also goes to another virtue, which is a kind of radical honesty. Like to what degree are we willing to really be vulnerable to our fears, our um, lack of faith, our doubt, um, our feeling of betrayal, our feeling that, you know, we don't really know God exists. Um, we don't know why we're here on the planet. And, you know, and the greatest spiritual teachers have always said that these attributes of doubt and fear and loss of faith, these are all good things to look at. It doesn't mean we don't, somewhere in us, have another, another dimension. But if we don't um, um, allow them to be spoken, we don't even allow ourselves to feel them, um, we think that we are self-sufficient, that we can do everything ourselves. And um, that becomes an impediment on the journey if we're not willing to open these, these inner feelings to others. And then, and then finally, I would say, not finally, because it's, you know, but of the four virtues is healing worldly ambition. Um, and by worldly ambition, I mean not only striving to make something of oneself, and, mater and achieve material goals without concern for the cost to self and others. 
right, which is so much a part of culture today, you know, be successful, you know, be on, you know, sell the most books, be on television, make a name for yourself. It's not only about that, you know, but also um, the cynicism or despair that fuels worldly significance and its power in defining what constitutes the good life. Um, you know, if you have an inner sensibility towards the monk within or towards giving up, you know, uh, certain kinds of harmful ambitions, you, oftentimes you're not really, um, what's the word, you're not really valued for that. And... Um, this can be a really deep inner pain for people who, who know that there's something more tender, uh, a reality more intimate and vulnerable and peaceful that they are being called to, to live in the world. And so, um, so, so this healing worldly ambition has called us to re- remind us of the value in being unimportant in oneself. It prunes our souls, helps us to grow into the light and to bear really beautiful fruit. Um, and so, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I, you know, I can't talk about these in depth in the small amount of time we have, but I just feel they're so important. Be, learning to be an apostle or learning to be devote, devoted or, or a disciple of what you feel is true. Taking responsibility for the past. Um, being radically honest so that you're, you know, you don't mask what you're feeling by saying, oh, I'm so self-sufficient, I can take care of anything, I don't need to tell anyone about it, uh, so that we reveal our hidden thoughts and, and conflicts. And then healing our worldly ambition, which is has such a weight on people today, and I think is even magnified with this coronavirus and, you know, the sequestering because um, we've all been pushed into a different mode of expression. And um, it can be a very fruitful time to find what is on the other side of this push to, to quote, be somebody, unquote. Yeah, I just so agree with everything you said. And, and, and there's some things that we can talk some more about, but I one of the things is that mix of responsibility and that passive side that allows the the Christ within, the Buddha nature, the whatever it is that you call that inner monk, um, to to do the work when we're not able to do the work. And so there's, I I, I keep remembering that that uh, thing that Jesus said that's so mysterious, where he said, uh, "I can do nothing of my own initiative," and that it's it's right. so. You know, in American culture, that's just so hard to imagine that somebody would not be able to do something of their own initiative and yet live such a productive and healing and powerful and miraculous life. Um, but basically what he's saying there is the I am is also sourced in the divine. And and he's so that just goes right along with what you're saying there, that we are responsible for the path. We can't give that. Uh, power over to our teachers uh, we can't blame our parents or you know you know our backgrounds whatever we can't do that for our woundedness and we can't also do that for our our spiritual path 
So there's so much there in terms of what we can learn about humility and responsibility and, and be, being a disciple and owning our own vulnerability that's just very powerful stuff. Yeah, oh, thank you, Andrea, for saying that, because I so agree with that. You know, it's like the whole idea, for example, of turning towards a formation of, of sort of living as a monk in the world is exactly what you said. Do we offer, I mean, do we offer our daily actions over to the divine and, and realize that we aren't doing anything on our own, really? <laughs> you know? Yeah. And, and, and praying about, you know, the steps we take and the things that we agree to. I mean, that is so much a part of my life. And, um, uh, and as you know, I am very productive, but it's, you know, it's hopefully always in the dream of where, you know, where is the, where am I being called? You know? Yeah, yeah absolutely. That, that whole uh, transition sort of, yeah, I guess so. transformation, actually, not just transition, but transformation that occurs as a result of being able to, to not so much seek out personal relevance as it is to seek out um, that connection between ourselves and the divine and everything we do. And, uh, and exactly. that, it, that idea of personal relevance comes from an old wound about worthiness, so we could go for on for hours about that. But right now, I think right. we probably should take a break, and uh, we'll be right back with more from Dr. Beverly Lanzetta. Be here. You don't want to miss this. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. Tune in to The James Dentley Show and learn strategies for success in business and in life. Dr. James Dentley is a proven success coach who knows how to convert good into great. You'll find out from the achievers and leaders how they got to be the success stories that they are. And Dr. Dentley and his guests will give you the tools you need to follow in their footsteps. It's time to become the best version of you. Listen to The James Dentley Show. Fridays at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on Voice America Empowerment. If you are ready to be inspired, energized, and entertained, you've come to the right place with our two life-changing programs at BeTheStarYouAreRadio.com. Live every Wednesday at 4 p.m. Pacific Time, 7 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Listen for our lifestyle show, Star Style, Be The Star You Are, with our host, Cynthia Bryan. Then on Sundays at 3 p.m. Pacific, 6 p.m. Eastern, Teens Talk and the World Listens on Express Yourself Teen Radio. Play with us at BeTheStarYouAreRadio.com and the Voice America Empowerment Channel. The White House Doctor Makes House Calls. Listen every week for House Calls with Dr. Connie Mariano. Dr. Connie has served as the White House physician under three U.S. presidents. Now she joins the Voice America Empowerment Channel to help you enrich yourself physically, emotionally, and spiritually. Our guests will include professionals from a variety of fields who will bring you tips that you can apply to your own life. Listen for House Calls with Dr. Connie every Thursday at 4 p.m. Pacific Time, 7 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Change your world. Change your life. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com 
You're listening to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. We want to hear from you. If you have a question or comment about today's show, call in now toll free 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. You can also send your questions or comments by email to Andrea at andreamatthews.com. Now, back to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. And we're back talking today to Dr. Beverly Lanzetta about her book, The New Silence, uh, Spiritual Practices and Formation for the Monk Within. And uh, what we've been saying thus far is that there is this internal process that's going on that's, that's the inner monk within, and we can learn how to be, get in touch with that and, and actually develop some practices. And so we're going to talk a little bit about those practices now. But first, I want to ask you... Um, with regard to spiritual practice, can you talk some about some of the obstacles to that practice and how we might overcome them? You don't have, I know that's a, that's a big section in the book, but I just want to just give the audience a little taste of that. Sure. Um, yeah, I want to just comment here, so I'm not... <laughs> oh, where did I put that? You know, sometimes when you write a book, after you write it, you're like, oh, did I write that? <laughs> I know exactly that feeling. <laughs> you know, sometimes you're like, I don't remember where I said that, but okay. But no, I, I, yes, there are some signs, and I think that they're very helpful in helping us to move forward. And, and one of the first ones that I talk about is inertia. Um, sometimes when um, meditation or prayer become difficult or do not result in the benefit that we hope, we develop a kind of spiritual inertia, and we, we might start feeling that our pra- we're not doing the practice incorre- correctly, or there's something wrong with us, or, um, you know, in the past, re- meditation and prayer led to feelings of consolation, and now we just kind of feel like we're very dry or spinning in circles. Um, sometimes when we're in an inertia, we're kind of stuck contemplating ourselves instead of contemplating the divine or meditating on the divine, in a sense, our practices become so internalized, you know, because we do live in a culture that is very psychologically oriented and, and you know, psychology has many benefits. So I'm not, I'm not using that as a, a negative, but just that, and, you know, we're used to asking questions about ourselves a lot. And so we can sometimes become, you know, very convoluted in this self-awareness and then our practice gets static because it's shielding the ego from insecurity and the surrender to which it's being called in its practice. Um, So one anecdote or one way you can help with inertia is realizing that your inner depth and your external actions aren't in alignment so that you're actually kind of being pulled in opposite directions. So, you know, the part of you that um, is trying to shield your ego from, from really encountering what's going on is fighting or, or pulling in the opposite direction of the interiority of the divine or your own longing to know truth pulling you in the opposite direction. So... Um, so, in a way, what is causing the inertia is that something deep in your being is crying out to be heard, and we're not listening. Um, so, 
that's one one example. Another, uh, and I won't go through all of them because I have quite a few here unless Andrea wants me to, but another one can be discouragement, which is related to inertia where we become derailed and stymied or disheartened. Um, you no longer feel passion for the quest. Um, you know, people will say, I used to love church or I love sitting in meditation or I love Jesus or I loved, you know, the Sangha, but now I'm uninterested. Um, we may feel loneliness. We may feel despair. Um, and similarly, we can, we can feel confused about why we're, what is going on with this. Um, what is taking place in us? Um, and there can be a strong tendency to give up the past and, you know, lure us away back into a traditional kind of life experience. Um, so then, there, you know, do you want me to go on, Andrea, now? Or yeah, that's a, no, that's good. That's fine. We, we just kind of want to give okay. an idea that there, there are definitely obstacles to practice, and we, we, there are some pathways to overcome them, and the book does cover that. So um, I encourage everybody to go buy a copy of the book and, and, and go through this material uh, because it's very, very rich with a lot of information that you can use to, to overcome these obstacles to your practice. Okay, you also speak of becoming addicted to spiritual practice, and I definitely have seen that in my work with other people. Can you tell us about that and how we might overcome that? Yes. I mean, one of the ways, you know, sometimes, you know, we become addicted. Again, it's similar to what I said a little earlier, is that we can become addicted to practice as a kind of imposition of the will or even like an accomplishment of the ego. Or look how long I sat in meditation or look how many days of prayer I did. Um, but it's in a, it can be a vehicle for bypassing inner, inner troubles. And it can, um, you know, it can bolster putting undue attention on what we're doing, bolster our false personality, um, and help, in a way, build self-esteem based on something that is only fragmentary, not really the full self. So... Um, so one of the antidotes is becoming aware of what motivates you. So is the practice being motivated in order to grow closer to truth or to become more peaceful, or is it, are you doing it to enhance yourself? Um, so you might tell yourself something like, you know, in your mind, I'm a healthy person and can ignore other aspects of my personality that I haven't worked on. And if you kind of reflect on that place where you're thinking, you can say, what am I getting from all this? I mean, is this really true? Um, so, compo- you know, an addict- when you're addicted to something, you can use anything to, um, uh, you know, to, to advance your addiction, even if it's, you know, healthy. It could be a healthy spiritual practice. Mm-hmm. And... Um, so I just think that one of the ways to help to get around that is to look again at self-motivation. What is yeah. really motivating this attention? Yeah, I think that's one of the hardest things for us to do is to really look at our own motivation, why we do what we do. And that leads me to the next question. You, you And you talked about this in the book. I don't know whether you remember it or not, but you, we talked about what is the difference between I should not be jealous and why am I jealous? 
Um, could you clarify that? I mean, what do you mean there? I, I'm sure yeah, I talked that, about that. You know, what are we, you specifically we, asking? Yeah, that we, we tend to accuse ourselves of our sins, so to speak, and we and we tell ourselves we we discover something in ourselves when we when we start looking at our own motivations. We discover things inside of ourselves, and we go, "Uh oh, I'm jealous. I should stop being jealous." Instead of saying, "What's really going on with my jealousy? What? Why am I jealous?" Right. And I right. think I think right. the right. difference between those is what is what I'm trying to get to. Yes, absolutely. Okay, that, that really helped. Thanks, Andrea. Well, I think that what's important about that is that oftentimes, particularly in our, let's say, Western or Abrahamic traditions, there's a sense of sinfulness that underlies things. So a kind of uh, accusation, you know, a kind of judgment that, you know, um, we're not good so many people that I work with in spiritual direction really believe that if they were to look at themselves, they would see that they're just unholy. And it's a very sad um, imposition that uh, many people feel, you know, even underneath their goodness and all these other things they think about themselves, they have this sense of self-judgment. So what I'm, what I'm trying to say is that at the base of all of us, and this is part of the monk within, and also part of how... Um, monastic and mystical traditions describe the deep self, and this is true for various religions, but I'll just give you a, a description from uh, Teresa of Avila, Christian mystic, Spanish mystic, in which the interior, let's call it our souls, has, is all completely one and divine, and, and yet part of that soul or inner self is turned toward the world and suffers the things in the world, can feel the pain of the world in its death. The other part of the soul is always turned toward the divine, toward God. And that part of, that interior part of the soul is never damaged, cannot be damaged, because it has the divine in its center. It is always a luminous light. So when, when I work with people about these issues you're just discussing, I want them to understand that if you're willing to recognize that deep within you there is divine and goodness, then you can look at the cause of your jealousy without judging yourself for being jealous. Like, why are you jealous? What does this refer to? Where have you been wounded? Where have you um, developed an aversion to something or competitiveness to something? And how does that relate to your deepest self? So does that, is that, that's how I'm looking at it. Is that what you're thinking? Yes, exactly. Yes. Yes, and I think that whole process is just so important to look at. And, and, and it references that my latest book, The Letting Go of Good, where we're, we're so invested in being good people that we forget how to be real people. And uh, right. that, that whole process of being, uh, looking at what's going on in that whole concept that you talked about, about the Abrahamic religions, where where there's just so much idea about sin that we can't get past that to find out who we are and what's really going on in there. Right, right. And then we we develop, like we talked about, you know, kind of a false personality. If we're going to be good, we're going to be, you know, holy, we're going we're gonna to be socially active and so forth. But in some sense, there's a cry going out from the center of the self that wants to heal that fracture, 
right. belief in its sinfulness or whatever has been imposed on it. Yes. So what we do is we send the we send that monk within into the closet and we close the door and we and we try to act out some other identity that's not associated with the monk within and that fracture that you're talking about has to do with the uh, the the that uh, schism between who we are as the holy monk or the monk within and who we are as as who we pretend to be uh, and there's right. a big chasm there between those two so yeah very important to right. heal that exactly yeah yeah yeah, yeah, Thomas Merton describes Thomas Merton describes uh, you know spiritual direction or looking at like we're talking as getting the the beneath the facade of personality to the inner you know the innermost truth and I love that image of the facade of personality. Yes, yes. There's so much that goes on within us that is a mystery to us. I have I work with people every day who just who don't know why they do what they do, um, and. Uh, right. I just think that's so important to figure out, you know, and I, I, I almost, I, it's all, it's almost funny when I do it to myself, when I say to myself, well, I don't know why I do that. It's almost comical because I'm, I'm, I'm like, well, if you don't know, then who's going to know, <laughs> you know, uh, <laughs> so nobody else is going to know, I'm, but I, I'm, so I'm the only one. And that brings me back to that responsibility that I'm responsible for right. my own spiritual growth and understanding right yeah and, and you know too Andrea what I think part of another thing that is a, a, you know is, is sadly part of culture is that we don't we don't recognize how much hard work this is oh it yeah is, it is hard work to really be a per to be true to oneself and it's yep. not instantaneous it's not you know in, immediately gratifying it takes right. work it takes years <laughs> But it, but it has, but it creates what I like to think of as like such a fragrance in our souls of, of us, you know, of this, just, um, just a fragrance, fragrance of love and compassion. Yes, that's a beautiful way to put that. I guess we have to end the show today. I'd love to keep talking. This is just a topic I could go on and on about, but we do have to close <laughs> the show out. So thank you so oh, much, Beverly, you, for being on the show today. Yes, thank you very much. Thank and you so much. So we'll be back again next and week. We'll- and remember, your job, should you choose to accept it, is to give birth to yourself. Thanks again for listening to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. Join us again next Wednesday afternoon at 1 p.m. Pacific Time, 4 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. We'll talk again next week.